0: chapter sixteen of dr paul's theory this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit LibriVox.org. dr paul's theory by alice mangoldeel chapter sixteen mizpa what was there in that telegram to cause hugh paul misgiving ostensibly but little many things could have occurred simple in themselves to give mercedes an excuse to summon him that she would take advantage of an excuse to shorten their separation he well knew as he turned over and re-read the telegram he chided himself for the chill sense of impending trouble which was unnerving him but his efforts came to nothing he started for london at once in irrepressible perturbation of mind arrived home the commonplace aspect of the familiar old house somewhat relieved him of his mental oppression the housekeeper had had notice of his return in a week or ten days and charwomen were about there was a clatter of pails and the homely sound of busy brooms and scrubbing brushes he spent the hours till mercedes should arrive in superintending the arrangement of the library and pretending to dine his study lamp smoked Just as he and the housekeeper had succeeded in coaxing it to burn with its wonted urbanity, one quarter chimed from the nearest church clock-tower a quarter past nine in a quarter of an hour she would be here, and the big dingy room seemed to him full of the ill-savoured fumes of lamp-oil. He dismissed the housekeeper, who knew he expected a patient, and threw open the windows. It was a clear night. The stars shone brilliant specks in the dark blue. He leaned out of the window listening for the roll of wheels, for that peal of the hall bell which he longed for yet dreaded. He would always long for her presence with an intense longing, yet this longing would be tempered by the dread that he would betray himself in some unguarded moment, would betray the passionate character of his love. He mentally forecast the interview leaning out in the sharpened autumnal air he braced himself to endure to keep himself at a completely respectful distance from the woman whose soul he believed to be the soul of his lost wife and part of his own soul but whose physical being belonged to the lazy voluptuary the prince andrioki it is hard he told himself Oh god thou alone knowest how hard The wild apostrophe brought a calm, a sudden peace, as if his guardian angel had laid its holy hand upon his heated head, and as he took courage from the sense of occult help in his sore need, the clock slowly, warningly, it seemed to him with some knowledge of what was to come, chimed the half-hour. Would she come? What was it all about? Perhaps the next few minutes' silence and suspense were the worst of his life often afterwards looking back into his past with a shudder he thought so yet the ring of the bell sudden impetuous when it did come was horrible the sound of her voice the slow footsteps along the hall he clenched his hands as he listened and cold drops of sweat were on his brow he went slowly to the door and opened it for his limbs were stiff and heavy disobedient to his will had he expected to see her also unnerved trembling he did not know but the calm with which she entered was a shock to him please shut lock the door she said quietly but with a desperate calm imperiously but in a tone of voice in which command was mingled with respect i have come she said throwing aside her cloak and seating herself by the table to tell you my friend what will cause you grief what will make you angry but i must tell you for your sake and for mine he stood facing her wondering at the extraordinary change in her in her whole outward self her lovely face was pale and delicately beautiful as ever but there was a new sternness about her sweet mouth a look of absolute will in her dark lustrous eyes which completely altered her the clinging tender girl had given place to the determined woman what is it he asked what has happened i will tell you she began evidently nerving herself for some disclosure just as it happened you know that the prince a look of pain contracted her features and she blushed slightly as she said the word my husband liked the pine wood you know she stopped and looked pleadingly up into his face he liked you liked our friendship some warning of what was to come arose in his mind ah at last some good-natured friend some meddler had stepped in between him and his long-waited-for happiness in life go on he said in a hard tone turning away from her The prince knows you and he knows me she went on proudly well i must tell you what happened last night we the prince the count and myself we went to the new play the prince did not like it and went away to his club i was sitting not talking the count was silent also when i heard the voices of men it was between the acts in the next box they spoke of you and of me what they said was an infamy Ah, do not look so, monsieur you and I, we have a champion, the count he did hear it also, and his anger against these men was great. He at once took me away down the staircase, procured my carriage, and I came back to my house. He told me he would avenge my honour, your honour at eleven o'clock. He came in. He told me he had challenged the man who said that infamy that to-day they would fight not here in England but in France, and he said good-bye this she drew a case from her bosom this is the name of the man who separates us monsieur for i also have come to say good-bye to-morrow i go home with the prince to spain it was so abrupt her calm yet confused statements were so unexpected that for a moment hugh's head swam he had to steady himself by placing his hand on the back of a chair Then he took a slip of paper that she held out to him and holding it near the lamp saw in her handwriting colonel roderick pym as he gazed upon that familiar distasteful name he seemed to have known all along that this must come this moment this interview that this was what had cast a shadow on their relations that this was the end once he said to himself half to her it seemed to him as if her mind ought to recognise his thoughts without the outward expression of words once i robbed this man of someone he loved and now he robs me of you as he sighed out that last word he recollected perhaps at that moment roderick pym was dead his revenge had cost him his life for the count would be a dangerous antagonist he was a skilled swordsman and a dead shot how when do they fight he asked breathlessly with the instinct to stay that duel at any cost fight she spoke almost indignantly do you think i would let the good count kill himself for me even for you tears stood in her eyes i knelt and prayed him she said i begged him but he would not hear me he said would you have me be a coward then at last he said to me if you will promise me that tomorrow you will go home to Spain with the prince and will never see or speak to him again, I too will go with you and will sacrifice my honour. She paused and hung her head. So, as I have promised, I have come to say goodbye, she faltered. Yes, he had known this all along, he felt he had. This was the end. The end of a promised passionate joy the end of delights of eye and ear of heart soul mind body all yes he said meekly bowing his head i understand we part it is all over for ever oh no she cried with sudden life and her face was alight with love and hope only for here you know who should know better than you How short is this life, you who always see the dead and dying? Is that death that which we call death? she asked him passionately. Do you think it? do you not rather think that this is dying? this living in a place where you must not love, where people hate and torture each other, and happiness cannot be for no one will let another one be happy? he went to her and took her slender cold hands in his for the last time. It does not matter he said bitterly yet feeling with a strange joy that this sacrifice of love ennobled their love raised it from a common thing to divinity no one can separate us after death if god wills us to be soul to soul one for ever a strange expression flitted across her face for one instant it seemed to him that this was not mercedes but lilia then came the memory of that awful deathbed when Lilia defied the will of her creator and would have forced him her husband to die with her, and he contrasted that hour of rebellion with this hour of humble renunciation. This is her soul, he thought in mingled awe and gratitude. Roderick would have caused our misery instead, he has saved us from an evil life together for here in this painful world. To be united in eternity, this was his actual death. He felt as he silently gazed into her eyes. This parting physical death after this would be nothing, would indeed be welcome for a moment. He thought to take her just this once into his arms, to let her heart beat against his breast, to feel her lips upon his mouth but before the thought was really born in his mind he killed it and flung it from him risk eternity for a moment he said to himself no he dropped her hands and smiled at her the smile she might have seen with the eyes of her soul upon the face of her angel guardian there is no more for us to say now he said but to pray for each other by and by we shall have time to see what this means this you and i being but one soul she rose and kept her eyes steadily fixed upon him then she slowly walked to the door how slowly she passed from the room he never knew their eyes dwelt upon each other and till she was gone he felt that never even in infinite glory could they be more really wedded than now the door was half open the room was empty save for himself and the shadows the whole door was gently shut he heard the sound of carriage wheels all was over he sat down stupefied this dead future which loomed blankly before him was stupefying a dense blackness a hopeless nothingness the hours passed the lamp flickered and went out still he sat there gazing at vacancy his mind groping about in this dreary cloud of fathomless misery he thought nothing tangible felt neither cold nor fatigue At last he began to wonder vaguely whether this was all that really existed this dull senseless apathy as he began to wonder his attention was attracted by a brilliant speck of light at his feet tiny at first it seemed to grow larger and brighter as he looked a mere pin's point of light at first in a few minutes it was a disk of some size then he saw an object he knew well a steel urn at the end of his library fender with a flush of pain he was alive again alive conscious of anguish of separation from her his darling his adored he seemed to see her retreating from him steadily hopelessly with a cry he sprang up that light was a mocking sunbeam he saw it now creeping in between the shutters he went to the window he flung open the shutters and defied the day or would have defied it but he was face to face with the glory of the sunrise the whole sky was golden and crimson clouds floated upward stately attendants upon the magnificence of the young day soft white rounded masses were like smiles upon the clear blue sky all meant life and hope and love and as he gazed he felt abashed at his own littleness what was he but a speck upon the bosom of the earth that little steel urn was greater in the shine of the world sun than was he in the light that streams from the eternal i must reach it he told himself i must be more than a speck of dust what is suffering what is dull commonplace but the ladder by which we climb to immortality that was his crucial hour the bridge over which he passed from unrest to peace none who knew him ever guessed the secret motives of his after-life they thought him more energetic larger-minded gentler and more sympathetic but he was envied as a man who seemed to have fathomed the mystery of peace on earth he died suddenly a month before his death he received a letter from a spanish priest who informed him of the death of the princess andriocchi and enclosed him a sealed envelope addressed to him in mephedi's handwriting he recognized the writing at once though in character it was larger and firmer it contained a slip of paper on which was inscribed one word come that word seemed to pierce his heart like an arrow from that day his strength waned his health failed his household were hardly astonished when one morning he was found sitting in his chair by the library window the early sunlight hovering about his dead smiling face he passed away smiling, a joyful smile that none had ever seen upon his face before. End of Chapter Sixteen. End of Dr. Paul's Theory by Alice Mangeldeal. Thank you for listening.